So, the karaoke show where it's like you have to guess the missing part of the line, missing lyric, or I forget what it is, but it's that guy Mark McGrath from that the Sugar Ray band, right? And you have to try and guess the line. So that's what we're going to do. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it off, and then I'm going to pause, and you guys got to try and figure out what goes in that line for that song to see what it is, okay? So here we go. So I'm not really going to, I'm going to say like, I'm going to do the lyrics. I'm not really going to sing it for you because that would be like kind of weird and I don't think that would work out. So here we go. It says, rising up back on the street, did my time, took my chances. Went the distance, now I'm back on my feet, just a man and his will to survive. So many times it happens too fast. You change your passion for glory. Don't lose your grip on the dreams of the past. You must fight just to keep them alive. It's the... Eye of the tiger. Yeah, eye of the tiger, right? Right? It's the eye of the tiger. It's the thrill of the fight rising up to the challenge of our rival. Right? So that's how it goes, right? So that's the song. So the reason why we open up with that is because... You know, Paul is this kind of guy you might not really think of. He's this guy that has like the eye of the tiger. He's committed to this task that's before him that God has put right before him. Nothing is going to stand in his way and he's going to do whatever it takes. And we find out, you know, in a verse today that really sums up sort of his idea, his mindset and perspective that he's just going for it, completely focused, completely committed. And I put that song down because I like those parts in those movies, you know, where Rocky, he is training, right? Behind the scenes, he's by himself, he's working hard. Sometimes Mickey's trainer is there. Or sometimes, you know, it's Apollo's friend that was there. Whoever it is, but he, nobody else around, he's doing all the hard work and he's training. He's focused and he's committed. And I think of that, I'm like, yeah, like, you know, am I like that, you know, as a Christian in my life and for God, you know, am I eye of the tiger, you know, with, with the right eye, you know, that Jesus would have you know, for me. And so, I like to see that focus and that determination. And I think that's also why, uh, you know, I just, I, I like sports in general. And uh, for, during sports and during a match and during practice, you at least get a glimpse of somebody just pushing it and just working as hard as you can. Or you see a team doing it together, you're trying to accomplish a goal and everybody's just, you know, going for it the best that they can. Um, unfortunate, and I think one reason why I appreciate it is because, you know, it's something that's pretty rare. And uh, unfortunately, that is the case. And being a school teacher and then, you know, a basketball coach for a long time, and I'm sure in your own lives you see it all the time, people who just kind of lack some, you know, focus and determination where they start off really hot and then they just like, you know, kind of fizzle. You know, so school will be starting up August 26th and all the kids are going to come in. They have to wear uniforms. They're going to come in with their ties their shirts are going to be nice and like ironed, very nice. Their khakis will be very nice. Every, their shirt will be tucked in. They'll have their notebook and their pencils and all that stuff. They'll be fully prepared. One month in, they're going to be a disaster. The shirt will be out. It'll be all wrinkled. Mr. Murphy, do you have a pen? Do you have a pencil? And it was like that too, even coaching. You know, first day of tryouts, they're all ready to go. And uh, they're all on the baseline running, doing everything that they should be doing, paying attention to detail. And then a month after that, you know, they start to slack, you know. And that's just kind of the human nature, you know. You just kind of fall back a little bit after a while and 
kind of get comfortable and it's hard to keep up that same intensity and momentum you know that you kind of had at the beginning and so that type of thing it's inspiring to me and so those types of movies I think that's why it takes off so much and so that's why you hear the eye of the tiger or different types of songs that people come out for sporting events you know just to inspire them and get them going so we're going to be in Acts 20 and we're going to see uh, where Paul is kind of getting this mentality and this attitude from so we'll pick up Acts 20 we'll get through the whole chapter will kind of bounce around a little bit in the beginning because there's not really a ton there. Um, but we're going to kind of harness in on just a couple of things as we read through it. So Acts 20, verse 1, it says, When the uproar had ended. What uproar? What the heck was going on? Well, last week, there was a big uproar, a big riot. Basically, short version is, Paul's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was uh, a bunch of people there that made money off of false gods, basically making them and selling them. And so Paul brought this message of Jesus Christ. It kind of hurt their business because they weren't interested in it anymore. And, uh, you know, the people who were making these items, they weren't real happy. They got everybody in an uproar. So it's just a pretty chaotic scene. And they drag, uh, Paul, they drag Paul's friends and this huge theater and they're just... Uh, trying to get them in trouble, and it's just a whole big thing. So it says, finally, when that ended, it says, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, and this is what Paul does, right? He goes around and he encourages people. He doesn't really go around beating people down. His ministry is encouraging. He says goodbye, and he sets out for Macedonia. So after all this stuff happened, basically, he leaves kind of for another place. And we have a map, too, if you kind of want to follow along and kind of see where they're at and what's going on. So it says they sail for Macedonia. And we're going to kind of like go through a bunch of different areas here. It's not necessarily that important. The areas, we'll kind of get to the more important stuff later. So it says, verse 2, He traveled through the area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, finally arrived in Greece. It says he stayed there for a few months because the Jews made a plot against him. So apparently by encouraging a bunch of people, they got mad at him. And uh, he decided to go back through Macedonia, from Berea, uh, there's another guy, Aristarchus and Segundus from Thessalonica. So there's all these guys, and basically they went on ahead of him and waited him for him. And in verse six says, "But they sailed from Philippi after a feast, and five days later he kind of joined up with them." So basically they're kind of bouncing around, uh, really a lot, kind of up in this area. Right here. They're just kind of bouncing around a lot in there. They hit up here a little bit and they're just kind of covering the whole area, just doing different places. And so, for people who like, uh, you know, don't get any like their plane tickets changed at the last minute and plans changing all the time, this would be a stressful trip for that type of person, right? He's just constantly bouncing all over the place. So, this is interesting. Verse 7 says, On the first day of the week, and that's typically why we kind of meet together on Sundays. People always ask, you know, Seventh-day Adventists, you know, isn't it more right, you know, to meet on Saturdays for church? And why meet on Sunday? Well, a few reasons. You know, one is, um, that's when they went to the tomb. It's when the women went to the tomb and Jesus wasn't there anymore. He rose from the dead, first day of the week. On Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit actually came down. It's the first day of the week, Sunday. And um, that's kind of the process, or, or that's kind of how we came to have it 
on Sunday, but really, I mean, the important thing is that you set aside a day. There isn't one day that's really more important than the other. It's just important that you set aside that day and really focus it on God. And so as in the, it says, for them, this is what they did, on the first day of the week, Sunday, they came together to break bread. So they came together to have fellowship together and then eventually take communion. It says, Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. So, long-winded to say the least, he's got a lot to say. It says, There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we, where, there, where we were meeting. So remember, Luke is writing this, and he's like companions with Paul. So that's why he says we. It says, Seated in the window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Right? It's pretty normal. It's been going on for a long time. A guy's been talking and giving a message, and people have been sleeping. It says, when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. <laughs> kind of a tragedy. So Paul killed the guy by talking too much. So in verse 10, it says, Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. It says, don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. So he, he raises this guy from the dead, basically. And verse 11 says, then he went upstairs again, and broke bread and ate. And after talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home, alive and greatly comforted. So it's like, Paul's there in the room, they're talking, going through stuff. Little hiccup. Kid falls out of the window, dies. He goes down, raises him to life. Paul goes back upstairs, still keeps talking really until daylight. And uh, then they take the young man home and they're greatly comforted. So just kind of like a weird story, kind of interesting. Um, rising people from the dead. I'll tell you what, you know, I, I'm of the opinion that, you know, when someone dies now and they pass now, um, that they immediately go and be with Jesus in heaven. Um, I think that as soon as Jesus Christ rose from the dead and was, uh, you know, in the earth and supposedly set the captives free, that um, now when we die, we just go to heaven. And so, I, if he's dead, right, and then they're there, and Paul raised him from the dead, I wonder what his attitude was like when he came back. Because, I mean, you could imagine, right, let's say you're the one that fell off. You're now in heaven next to Jesus and hanging out and enjoying, you know, heaven for what it is. And then, like, you're, like, you're kind of, like, starting to leave, sort of, maybe, like, fading out. And then, like, you're kind of, like, coming back to and you're, like, opening your eyes, you know, and it's, like, kind of blurry. And you see these people over you with their hands on you, like, praying, oh, God, bring back, you know, so-and-so, and we hope he's okay. And, and then he wakes up. I don't know how happy I'd be. I'd probably slap somebody in the face and be like, what are you doing? I was just where, like, I wanted to be. And so, I mean, who knows, you know, it's kind of a humorous way, at least, to look at it and... Uh, pretty interesting. Paul is just always trying to maximize his time with people and just trying to get the whole message across. And I imagine that, you know, they're probably there just sitting there. Paul is just probably telling them story after story after story like we've been, written, like we've been reading about. Um, but, the, you know, he's probably telling them about how the Holy Spirit came and there's tongues of fire on them. He's probably saying, yeah, a couple people tried to lie to the Holy Spirit. They just dropped dead on the scene. He's probably telling them, yeah, believe it or not, you know, God would even use uh, handkerchiefs and aprons and just heal people. I mean, just 
amazing stuff. And so all night long, they're probably just going back and forth with stories and maybe they're sharing too. And so it's an interesting scenario. So we skip down to verse 13. So this is kind of the part where we'll kind of settle in on and talk on a little bit. It says, We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Asos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there, arrived to Chios. Right the day after that, they basically keep sailing around. And then in verse, uh, right before verse 17, it says, basically he wants to hurry up and reach Jerusalem. Alright, so we, all we did was just kind of shortcut through the places he went to. <coughs> verse 17. says, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus, right, that's where he just was. Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church, right? Ephesus where he was. He spent like three years there. The longest time he spent really with anyone. Ephesus was a strong place for him and that's where he met. He grew a real love for these people there. And so what he did is, uh, you know, he sent for these elders. And when they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. Although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth... Right Here's the eye of the tiger. This is like the eye of the tiger verse. Right? This is one like I underline. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. I mean, that's, that's where he's at. And verse 25 says, Now I know that none of, you, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. So they're never going to meet again. You know, he's kind of leaving these elders and that's it. How does Paul know that? He just knows. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. Right? So leaders in the church are supposed to be are supposed to be shepherds, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or anything. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so after he said this to everybody, he knelt down with all them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. 
What grieved them most was the statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. Right? So you have this scene where he's there and he's never going to see these guys again. He, you know, some real love, some real feelings there. It's a real scene, like, you know, movie type moment where he's there and they're, you know, together just sharing what God has done and how he's used them. And they know they're really going to never meet up again. You know, so it's kind of a sad farewell. Um, but nonetheless, you know, obviously in life there are some sad times and difficult issues that come up. And so the Bible deals with those things. So a couple things I want to take away from that. One thing is that that eye of the tiger verse. Like that's kind of the crutch that is where Paul is really at. That verse 24. Right? I mean, and he, you know, I imagine he says it with conviction. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. I mean, that's all that his focus really was. It's just whatever God has before me in my life, my comforts and the things that I could get, the things I could own, not even really that important. I just want to try and do this task before me. And so, his life his course, and his ministry. Those were like his key critical elements that he was really able to evaluate and do well. His life, his course, and his ministry. Realizing right away that his life was just a gift from God. That's all that was. And it was a gift from God with a certain purpose and a certain intent. And his course was, man, he just wanted to complete that race and just run it the best of his ability, the best he possibly could. Right? And then his ministry, just to testify the gospel of God's grace. And each of us has these, one of these three critical elements in our lives. It's up to us, though, kind of how we figure that out. Because understanding them is really going to lead to a life of no regrets. Because at this stage in the game, when he has to leave there, and he's sitting there with the elders... In the back of his mind, you know, he's not going to oh, you know, I wish I did this, or I wish I acted on that, or I wish I did this differently, or I was kind of selfish in this area. He already had these critical elements really worked out. You know, he already understood that his life, he was already committed to that whole thing. And so I, that's something that I see, like, Paul is that, like, behind the scenes, I, the tiger guy, just doing whatever it takes, and so... You know, immediately that just speaks to me of am I there? Am I close to getting there? Do I even want to be there? Even knowing what it might take. And then the other thing I see, see from this is this issue of saying goodbye and like saying farewell. Right? This is like, as we said before, life has its you know, ups and downs and difficulties. And saying goodbye and saying farewell is not one of the most really enjoyable times of life, especially in a scenario where you know you're never going to see him again. I mean, you know, when you're, you have a family and, uh, you know, you're letting your little one go to school for the first time, you've got to say goodbye for the day. You know, that could be difficult and you see him to the bus or maybe some parents go on the bus and then they ride with them to the school and then they talk to the teacher, you know, and they do all that stuff and that's a goodbye, right? Or when they finally go off to college or maybe you have to say goodbye to loved ones, you know, when they live far away and, you know, there's a good chance you know you're going to see them again. But when you have to say goodbye and you know you're never going to see them again, 
Um, you know, something even unfortunate like, you know, passing and a death in the family. Um, even in those situations, people don't even get that. That's like some of the worst is when somebody passes away and you don't even get a chance to say goodbye. You know, that's, that's really difficult. And so you hope that, you know, you really maximized your time with them and made the most of it. Um, but this issue of, you know, saying goodbye and having to be sort of a, a, a rough, difficult situation, to me, as I read it, and I look at it now as like, you know, a pastor and like what's going on around, I notice that this is a stressful event, right? There's stress within that. Like that's, it's difficult because the situation is he loved them, they loved him, and now they'll be leaving and it's like, what's going to happen next? And you got to imagine that in some of their minds, like, oh no, what are we going to do? Like, he really helped us, he brought us through, and is he going to be all right? Are we going to be all right? What if everybody else comes after us? Like, it's, they're torn. There's anxiety there. And the first thing I think of is like 2011. We're not really great at handling anxiety and stress, not real good at it. And. I'm thinking, geez, we got to at least talk about that, you know, at some point on Sunday mornings and like, you know, let people understand that. Because very often stressful thing comes up or something that creates anxiety or kind of puts us somewhere near that. If we've already established bad patterns or not healthy ones, it's easy to resort right back to them when that stressful, anxious moment comes up. And so maybe it's getting impatient. Maybe it's running to food and eating. Maybe it's uh, running right to alcohol and getting that, or maybe it's uh, running to the internet and looking at things you shouldn't. It, who knows what it could be? But these are the ways that people have coped, and a lot of times they become private because you're not real proud of it. And so, but issues of stress and anxiety like bring these things on. So, I think on the next slide. Hopefully, a couple things about stress. It's kind of hard to read, so I'll read them through. It says, stress contributes to heart disease, high blood pressure, strokes, other illnesses, right? These are things that we know. Stress also affects the immune system, which protects us from many serious diseases. It says, stress also contributes to the development of, right? We talked about alcoholism, obesity, suicide, drug addiction, cigarette addiction, other harmful behaviors. Stress in society is so prevalent that the U.S. Public Health Service has made reducing stress one of its major health promotion goals. So the U.S. Public Health Service is like, man, we just got to focus on this. And the last one kind of got me. says up to 90% of all doctor's visits are for stress-related illnesses, ailments, and complaints. Up to 90%. And you know that like a good percentage of that are Christians, right? I mean, we have a hard time dealing with stress because there's other places we could take it that aren't good and sometimes when it's stressful or anxious some people just stuff it inside and kind of act like it's not there and try not to deal with it bad part is about that is that like it's going to come out somewhere else and it's, it's not going to be healthy um, and so that's like stuff that we should talk about at church that we want to be able to do a better job with and try and handle it better and there probably is a healthier way to do it um, so hopefully it doesn't become this dominant force in our life like it is for so many people it really is a real thing for so many people and a lot of times it's known as you know or different people have 
like, trigger points or trigger things that happen that triggers that stress and that reaction that maybe you're used to and, that you're try- and if you're trying to change it that's when the rubber really hits the road and becomes really difficult because now you have to like let other people in and possibly tell them about things maybe you're not even really proud of and ask for help so it's difficult stuff and so I know it's a farewell and a goodbye but it's like all centers like I read it through the prism of 2011 because we're here because I want it to be practical and so when you look at it, you see like you know stress and anxiety could certainly be there and so we want to at least talk about that just a little bit so question is well you know how do you really you know deal with this kind of stressful stuff and how is it helpful and and what's good and so it says in verse 32 right that we just read through core element right here he says now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified and then later on we see that right they kneel together in verse 36 it says when he had said this he knelt down with all of them right and they prayed and so he committed them to God and then they prayed together and I certainly think that one way, certainly that would be helpful to deal with stress and rough situations, is to right away commit it to God. Because that's a good model of what Paul just did. And that's what we're also asked to do. And on the next slide, we got a verse about how, next, next one, that Jesus tells us what we should do. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And so that's what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to commit that stuff to God and then trust Him with it. And so when we send the little ones away to school, you know, we just got to trust that God's going to be with them and that He's going to protect them and take care of them. We got to say goodbye to our family members and it seems painful and they have to go we have to trust that God is going to work in their lives and work in our lives and who knows what might happen again later on right we just have to commit it to God in that way and not think that we have to be in control of it and I think that's good to understand but on the next slide you know that's good to know but you know how do I do that right that sounds good I want to certainly come to God, give it up to Jesus, right? A phrase that we've certainly heard before, I want to give this to God, give this to Jesus. What does that really mean? You know, what does that really look like? Well, I think one critical way it looks like right away is in the form of prayer. And we saw them kneel together in prayer together. And so I even put like an example of a prayer like that up here that's helpful. Because the first best thing is to get God into the equation and have Him help. And I thought this was a pretty good prayer. It says, Dear Lord, I need You now because I'm full of stress and anxiety. I just like it right off the top, right off the very beginning, you're just honest with God right away and you're telling Him how you're feeling. It's not a secret. And it's not bad, you know, to admit that. It's the starting point for where God can work. I'm full of stress and full of anxiety. Reading Your Word brings comfort so I ask you to come and take my heavy burdens I take each burden one by one and I lay them at your feet 
right? And I would even say I take each burden and then for me a lot of times it's helpful for me to be really specific. I take this burden right now as far as um, you know, my friend, right, you know, so-and-so being sick right now, laying that at your feet. Or this difficult situation, you know, right now, whatever it is, putting it at your feet and being really specific about it and telling God about it. Please carry them for me so I don't have to. Replace them with your humble and gentle yoke so that I will find rest for my soul today. I receive your gift of peace of mind and heart and help me, Lord, to lie down tonight in peace and sleep. I know that you, Lord, will keep me safe. Help me to trust you with my fears. Please keep me daily, Lord, in your perfect peace. Right, and I think that's a pretty good prayer just right away, you know, just to put him at the center of it, acknowledging that I'm still having these feelings, having a difficult time. I know I'm supposed to bring it to you, and that's what I'm trying to do. It doesn't really feel really that great. Maybe not right now, but I'm going to trust that it will later and have you come through. And I think that's like the first step as far as dealing with difficult situations and stress and that kind of thing. I think after that, there's also other steps. I think after that, you absolutely have to include some people in on it to help pray with you and to help talk with you and to help vent about it. You know, having a healthy group of people around. And that's why I think, you know, churches are critical in that element to have that support system that's so vital to help out. Because all those stress issues, issues become so much more magnified and so much more dangerous when we're isolated and when we're by ourselves. And that's why there's, even in church names, there's even a, huge, a big push of just having the word community in there. Because everybody wants to be such a focus where it's really a community and a family of people that come together and then they can rely on each other. And it's not just people like just relating and being understanding and sharing, but it's actually the power of the Holy Spirit infused within that that actually helps out. So there's a supernatural dynamic to it within the church. Because you can go to support groups and you can share with other people and you can go to AA meetings and different type meetings for really almost anything, which are good and helpful and you can share things. But it's always the best if you can get, also get those meetings where people are being honest and sharing their struggles and difficulties and you could take it to the Lord in prayer and put it right at His feet and ask for His Holy Spirit to come right in the middle of it. And so I thought the model you know, that Paul did in this difficult time you know it's going to be difficult for them and difficult for him. Right? He's not Superman and he's not perfect it's going to be painful for him too to believe in them and it's going to be difficult for them too. And then as soon as they leave, they could be fight, pointing fingers and fighting. It's just a lot of different things could happen. But he commits them to God, and then he prays for them. They're in a farewell. And so that stressful event, you know, saying goodbye, you know, to loved ones, whether it's someone that's going to pass or when you see them leave, you know, I can think of, uh, you know, many times we have some family members that are far, and. <laughs> You know, sometimes you, you, you try and wait to the last minute to right before they have to get on the plane or right before you have to drive and right they have to go. You're like, you don't talk about anything. You're just running around doing stuff. And then it's like, you sort of minimize that time when they're about to go so you don't really have to like have that longer goodbye. You're like there and you, you know, it's going to be sad. And so you just sort of minimize that. And 
And I think that's probably kind of good. Um, but I, it always seemed to have gone better when we're there together. And yeah, maybe we cry a little bit. But then, like, you know, we commit to the trip of wherever they're going and where we're going to the Lord. And then we pray together. And then, you know, we just kind of see, you know, what happens. Um, if someone has the ability to really say goodbye to somebody, you know, even before they pass, that's what they're going to do. They're not going to say, oh, I wish I made this investment or I wish I made more money here or I spent more time doing this. Usually it's time that, uh, it's a time where they're reflecting back and they really want to enjoy the times of just hanging out with people and uh, having that special, you know, prayer time with them right before they go. So, I like the model of Paul saying goodbye, committing them to the Lord, having that prayer, and it was nice that he had no regrets in that farewell and in that goodbye because he already had the eye of the tiger. He was already kind of in that place. And so for me, that just speaks to me of, I want to get to that place more too. And I know that farewells and goodbyes are going to be you know, definitely in my future guaranteed. And hopefully I handle them well and I don't let the stress and the anxiety and the difficulty of the situation take over and let my emotions run wild. Hopefully I can do a better job with that. So let's stand. We'll close in prayer. And, uh, you know, we'll ask God for help with that. And so God, we just... Um, this morning we, we uh